pictures there. They are actually free videos. I update them every week. You can see me and my friends and what we do there. You can get a subscription, make a donation, or just check out the free stuff. All of the above are very much appreciated. I thank you for that. Um, so you can check out the physical side of me that way. And you can also check out the Naked Truth pages there and the Living Water Chapel pages there. And get an idea of what it is that we do here on the Naked Truth. And that is... Um, explore the spiritual side that I believe exists in everyone but I know exists in me because um, and I self-identify as a Christian and thereby I believe Jesus gets the last word on any given topic uh, especially if, as a Christian I believe he shed his blood to bring us the message so I feel like it's only right it's named after him to give him the last word and what he has to say on things is very, very different than what many churches will tell you, than what many people will tell you, and certainly than what most people believe. Um, so anyway, that's what we do here. We're going to pick up where we left off in the book of um, Luke, since it's Wednesday. And before I go on, if you do check out the website, you'll get more free videos if you check it out on an old school computer. Just enable the Adobe plugins. It's free to do that, and the videos will automatically start playing for you that way. Um, but, even in, but even on a mobile device, if you click on the mobile movie Blue Charms, you'll see the videos start playing for you that way. Um, so anyway, we're picking up where we left off in the book of Luke. And um, we... We're in the chapter 15, and this is the passage that stood out to me the most. Um, the whole chapter was basically Jesus giving us examples of what it's like in God's eyes, I feel like in God's eyes, um, for for God when one of his, uh, one of us decides to seek God, you know, whether it be whatever religion it is that we're um, uh, believing in, when we decide to seek a higher power and um, pursue God, godliness and, you know, righteousness, whatever the form that takes for you. I think that's what Jesus was laying out for us in there. And he was giving us examples of different types of believers, different types of Christians. In this uh, example, um, one who did the whole thing, did the right thing or tried to do the right thing pretty much all their life. Someone who you make a, may think of as raised in the church or even um, working in the church or religious um, building, whatever your faith is. So you can think of them that way. And then the other example was someone who um, felt like they were entitled to um, the prize, the heaven, and um, didn't need to go through all the rest of that stuff and collect, and felt like now is the time to live. And both, of, both were accepted at the end of the day when um, um, they realized what the big picture was and uh, both sons, the one who was faithful the whole time and the son who became the prodigal son who sort of wandered out into the world when he came back to himself, both made it. Um, but Jesus sort of laid it out for us how it is when um, different people come to faith. At least that's what I got from that chapter. Uh, from Yeah, from that chapter. Um, and sort of this is what laid it out for me. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found so that sort of sums it up that at the end of the day even if you spend um, your life the gift that God gives you of being here in the world doing what the prodigal son did living for the world and in that case it said pursuing hoes um, and blew all his money all of his inheritance on chasing skirt chasing and that sort of thing and you know that's what it said there um, 
that's what the word harlots means there. Hoes. It's what we call hoes. It's the same word. It's just, it's changed over the years, its form, but that's what it means. Um, so that's what he's saying there. And that um, even then, that's still acceptable if you come to yourself and realize that pursuing the things in life and just grabbing what you can get while you're here and taking everything that you can is not the way to go. Once you realize that and come to yourself as the prodigal son did, both are still accepted. And the one who was there all along is already entitled to the, 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 the promise because um, they were always faithful. So anyway, that's what happened in Luke um, 15. We're going to pick up at Luke 16 now. Um, and this is one of the most interesting chapters for me um, in the Gospels, but we'll read and see what happens. He also said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So here he's not giving us a parable. Uh, well, it says it's a parable of an of the unjust steward, but it doesn't say, Jesus didn't say he's giving them a parable. He's saying there was a certain rich man. So he's giving you an example of someone who is corrupt, who's um, been trusted with a position and who's um, actually uh, corrupt in that position. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. So now this is a situation where one person is look, overlook, overseeing it all and has the authority to shut it down when they run into corruption. It's not like the United States where there are systems set up to do it, but not laws, but just rules and norms, not laws. So people like our president now feels free to break any rule or norm that he wants to and has even broken laws, but you know, faces no, has not faced any consequences to this date for him. Uh, not anything like anyone else would face, like, say, unarmed black people who are just walking down the street, minding their own business, um, get shot and killed because <laughs> of the fear of the black skin for whatever reason. But so anyway, we have the president doing that sort of thing. So it's sort of the same situation where you have someone trusted in a, in a position who um, is um, corrupt in that position. But um, so let's see what, how, how he handles it, though, because we know how the president handled it. He had a trial where he was allowed to lock witnesses and um, was acquitted. So let's see how this one gets to handle it. Um, then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taken away. He's saying the stewardship away from him. I don't want to say it over me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So the steward there is saying, okay, he's... Think about it in the presidential situation when he was impeached. In this situation, in the situation there, the steward is being called to the supervisor's office, basically, and being said, hey, what's going on? Give account of what you're doing, because you might have to lose your job. You might lose the position you're in. Um, so we know how that turned out in modern times. Let's see how it turned out in the situation where Jesus is giving us an example of. Excuse me. And notice there that the steward in that situation is afraid that he's going to be removed from the position he's in. Um, modern times, the president is afraid of the things he does. He does them in your face. And um, in that sense, you have to applaud him that um, at least he's letting you know when you look a certain way, you have certain privileges and he uses them. Um, I can't say I wouldn't use them too if I had that kind of privilege. I don't. I only have this amount of white skin. That's how it is. And I've resolved what to do. 
that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So the steward is saying within himself, what can I do since he's realized that um, since he's going to be under review? And he's saying he knows once he's under review, he's going to find out that he has been wasting those goods. So what can he do about the corruption that he's done? So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? So um, he's decided to figure out how to cook his books and figure out how much he was supposed to be responsible for and how much he can make it look like he was responsible for. And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit out quickly and write 50. So that would be like if you owned a hotel, for instance, and you got people to rent out hotel rooms to you uh, for you at a raised price and um, they never even used the rooms but never even requested a refund either. You could get that money and put it into your own pockets. And that's what he's saying has happened there. Is um, similarly, he's he's been uh, responsible for hundred measures of wheat. That'd be like hundred pounds of wheat. And rather than um, charge him for the hundred, he's saying, "I'll just charge you for the eighty, and I'll keep the difference what I made for the twenty. And the master who actually owns the whole hundred won't be any the wiser. So that's what he's saying he's going to do there. The, then he said, let's see. And the person who's the person who owes it doesn't mind because he's getting a discount also. He's getting a 20, 20% discount on the wheat. Um, and he said, uh, wait, so let me see. Did I skip one? So he called everyone and he masters 100 measures of oil. So that was the oil. Um, and he said, 100 measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, now how much do you owe? And so he said, 100 measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So I think I might have skipped one there. So um, just so you see what's happened, whether it's the oil, whether it's the wheat, he's found ways to um, take each of the debts that the person, that each debtor owes the master. So if you think about it in a governmental sense, it'd be like, finding different ways through whether it's uh, your golfing enterprise to have people rent out golfing lessons and rent out golfing carts even to the government and these things are happening now whether you realize it or not to the tune of millions and millions of dollars um finding ways to have the government rent out golf carts for you rent out security for you through the government through the golf course that you own and you can get the money to come back to you and then just uh, report it to the government at a different price or not at all and just keep the profits. So he's saying that's what's happening there, whether it was the wheat or whether it's the oil, they're taking in a large amount and then, um, you know, he's keeping part of it. He's taking a cut is basically what you could think of it as. It'd be like if a drug dealer had a pound or a kilo of whatever it is they're moving and uh, decided to mix in a little bit of something else to make it more and then you know that's how it goes and that's what he's doing there with their um with the um his master's product not his own with his master's product so you know how dangerous that is so but you see how the master responds to it so the master commended the unjust steward because he said he dealt shrewdly for the sons of this age are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. So that lets you know a couple of things. Jesus said very clearly here that um, first, that it's very crafty, it's shrewd. That's what shrewd means basically. It's wise, but in a crafty way, not in, not in a necessarily good way. 
um, he's saying that's smart of him to be able to do that, to take a cut and keep it where he can't even see it and not even realize it. He's still letting him know, well, I was pretty crafty of you to do that. And he commended the, uh, the steward who's been robbing him the whole time. And you see the whole same thing happening here where the president has a solid base that's behind him, whether they lose their jobs, whether they lose their farms, whether they're in welfare lines now, even though they denounce all of that stuff when anyone who looks like this even looks for any of that stuff even though that's all happening for them right now they still embrace him because they say oh good job you're, you're fleecing the country and you're getting richer just like your book says which you have to again you have to give the credit president credit for that he says the art of the deal is at the end of the day whether you get effed or not as long as he gets what he wants out of the deal then that's the art of the deal so you at least he's letting you know how he deals. And like I said, a third of the voting population is still with him. So it, it's similar here. There's a similar situation here with Jesus is laying out. And again, he didn't say it's a parable, although it's labeled a parable. He didn't say it was a parable. He said there was one. So he's letting you know there are people in power who do these sort of things. And it doesn't necessarily just mean politics. It can mean any situation. You could think about that same scenario throughout just about any sort of business. Um, of how to skim off the top or take a cut or do whatever it is that the steward is doing there. And Jesus is letting you know that people who do that are craftier than sons of light. That lets you know they're not necessarily sons of light, people who do those sort of things. But he's saying people who do do those sort of things, and it's not to say all the politicians. No, the ones that make the, the, the side deals to get even richer. When the presidency is already set up to make you a millionaire, even if you're someone like me, to make a quarter of a million for four years and end up with a million dollars, basically. Um, so, but that's not enough for some people. I feel like they need more, And but not just the, the presidency. There's also the Congress. It's on both sides. It's even beyond that. It's the poor people who keep them in power to keep them that way and keep them locked down. So it, it's not, you can't point a finger because a lot of people are responsible for the situation. Um, but in this situation, just like in the situation Jesus just gave, it's not just the steward who's taking his cut. It's also the people who are agreeing to take the cut so that they can pay for $80 worth of product instead of 100 Even though they're getting 100 the people who are taking 50, paying $50 worth of product, even though they're getting 80 or whatever the case may be. But also, even the one who owns it all, who's over the whole scheme of it all, who's losing his product... He's not upset that he's losing the product. He commends the crooked steward uh, because he's shrewd at what he's doing. So I let you know it's the exact same way apparently government works. Jesus is letting us know um, that that's what happened there. That the same steward was taking cuts and instead of um, being condemned like a common person would be, instead he's commended for his crafty works. And um you see the same thing happening in reality now. Um, okay, so let's see. And he's saying the people who are not walking in the light are good at that sort of thing. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. And when you fail, they may receive you in everlasting habitation. So the thing to realize there is not... Again, it's not everyone. It's only when you're doing it unrighteously, when you're being crooked in it, whether it's plumbing, whether it's roofing, whether it's politicking, whether it's policing, whether it's drug dealing, whatever it is your thing is, if you're not being uh, 
uh, straight up with people in it, then um, you're probably falling under the in the under the uh, umbrella of the crafty steward, who's going to be commended for um, um, valuing the mammon, which is basically um, it's um, money that you, it's like it has an evil influence. So it's almost like corruption. Excuse me. So Jesus is saying here, when you do that, make sure you make friends, make connections for yourself by that, because um, that's who's going to be who you're going to end up with, and that's where that's going to be your habitation. He was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So Jesus is letting us know here, if you can trust someone with a penny, you can trust them with a pound. If you can trust them with a dollar, you can trust them with a million. If you can't trust them with a, a, a dime, you can't trust them with a, 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 a dollar. Basically, if somebody's going to be dishonest or crooked with you, they're going to be that way with you. Whether it's a, a small matter or whether it's something huge. So don't expect someone who is unfaithful to the people they make vows to and marry them. And that's It can happen to anyone. But don't expect someone who does that repeatedly or abuses their children or uh, abuses their power or uh, abuses the oppressed or any of that stuff. Don't expect someone who's doing those things to suddenly turn around and be doing other things. He's saying that's not how it's going to work. It's because um, if you're faithful in a little bit, you'll be faithful in much. So if you haven't been faithful with those people who you uh, who trust you, who've made vows with you, who've walked through life with you, and then you betray them again and again and again, like I said, we all make mistakes. But to do it again and again and again speaks more to what your character is. And again, we all make mistakes, but um, if you're going to look to that, don't expect that same, don't expect faithfulness out of a situation like that. That's not to say that anyone's lesser than or more than if they have or haven't made those vows and broken them. It's to say, don't expect that person who's not keeping those vows in that situation with the people who they walk through life with. Don't expect them to be any more faithful to anything else that they're not walking through life with that they've taken those vows, vows with and all of that the tree will be known by its fruit basically so jesus is saying um that's how you can tell who and what is faithful he um therefore if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon who will commit to your trust the true riches so jesus is saying there there is an element of unrighteous mammon there is an element of worldly corruption out there and he's saying um it's out there but if you're not going to be faithful in it then don't expect anyone to trust you with the things that are truly valuable in the world. Um, and if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? So he's saying just like with the steward, he is he's able to do those things and be crafty with, with um, his master's money because it's not his. It'd be different if it were his. He wouldn't risk those sort of things. He wouldn't take those sort of deals. He wouldn't take 80% of 100 if it was his uh, product, whether it is the wheat, the oil, the whatever, fill in the blank. He's saying, um, here, you wouldn't do that to yourself. So again, it's break. it goes back to the love your neighbor as yourself. You wouldn't want that done to you, so why would you do that to them? The same thing with slavery. Even though Jesus doesn't have to lay them out specifically every single one, the umbrella is love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to enslave them. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to domestically violently abuse them you're not going to rob them you're not going to murder them all sort of things 
it's under the umbrella. You, whatever you don't want someone to do to you, obviously you don't do it to them. Um, every scenario doesn't need to be laid out. If you have sense enough to understand that you don't do to someone else what you want done to you, don't want done to you, you understand what I'm saying. And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, so who will give you what is your own. So he's saying, um, don't ever expect to get come into your own because you're still being unfaithful in what it is you've been trusted to do already. So don't expect to point where you truly receive your own and get to be entrusted with it. You haven't proven yourself faithful. Uh, no servant can serve two masters for either you will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So Jesus is saying um, you can't have a divided heart. People call it like to call it compartmentalizing nowadays to sort of justify being able to juggle different lives or different faces um, that are out there. And I guess that's a good word for it. But if you're not being faithful, then at some point it's it's going to show. And he at, even it shows even from, it's there from the beginning, but at some point it's going to show. And what Jesus is saying here is that you, you're going to, the faithfulness to what you're truly faithful is faithful. The truth of what you're truly faithful to is going to show up at some point, whether it ends up being extramarital affairs, whether it be uh, embezzlement through your companies, whether it be political entanglements, whether it be you're actually in the closet and you have trans people like uh, working for you who are tokens. Because tokens exist whether it's just black and white, but they also exist in other senses. They exist in the sense of transgender tokens who make it to a certain level and then they're like well I made it so I don't necessarily need to bring other people in and they may stay in the closet um, a couple like in this administration who uh, you may recognize and you can tell because and then I'll get back to this you well I'll get back to this this is more important let's see so no he's saying you can't be uh, have a divided loyalty you're gonna either be faithful to one and you're gonna be unfaithful to another or you're um, you're going to have to choose sides. And um, you can't straddle the fence. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. And he said to them. So now the Pharisees, religious people. Uh, the ones who believe that Moses is the authority figure under their faith. Which by the way, if you happen to uh, wiki, 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 Wikipedia, if you search it, you'll see that that religion, the whole rabbinic um, tradition of it, it says ended in 73 AD. And I know it's an approximate date because, you know, that's a long time ago. It's hard to pinpoint it. But I'll let you know that's another prophecy that Jesus said would happen that that um, temple will be destroyed, not one stone upon another. All of that already happened. And if you search it, you'll see the Pharisees, Sadducees. If you we, check that out, you'll see what it says. It ended in 73. So I'll let you know. It's already happened, even though some preachers will try and tell you, oh, it's not going to happen yet, or it hasn't happened yet. It's happened. There's no temple there. Um, so anyway, now the Pharisees are um, basically, as I said, they're the ones who are the religious leaders. And they're laughing at him because they um, they're not accepting what he has to say. And he said to them, you're those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So Jesus, um, 
they're more concerned with appearances. It's more important to them that people consider them holy and righteous rather than them actually being holy and righteous. And he's saying that's important to them and because it's important to the community that they have that standing. It's that whole social structure thing um, that's really, really fake and very um, a lot of acting and people not being who they really are. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So Jesus says here, um, the law, that's Old Testament, the law, which also the Pharisees are, the um, that's their whole thing. They're going by the religious laws of the Old Testament. He's saying all of that were up until John, was up until John the Baptist, uh, excuse me. I'm pretty sure that at this point, John the Baptist has already been uh, beheaded. So that lets us know, um, Jesus is saying all the way up until that point, it was pointing to that time. He's letting them know all of what they know, the law and the prophets. That's basically what we call the Old Testament, all there's other stuff in there too. He's saying all that um, was leading up to John the Baptist. And it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. So he's saying, oh, did I miss? Oh, and everyone is pressing into it. So he's, okay, let me read that again. The law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. So he's letting us know the law and the prophets were to point to John the Baptist. John the Baptist's message was repent and believe and that Christ is here. And then he pointed to Christ for people to believe it. And, um, and he's saying, and since that time, people have been begun believing it and going into the faith and then since then on till now people are believers um and coming under the umbrella um so he's saying it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for the one tittle of the law to fail so one other thing about that the people pressing into it the kingdom of god that sort of lines up with what jesus said before that no one has gone up to heaven except for him jesus the son of man who came down from heaven so um, that lets us know that even though people pass away, it's not to heaven or hell that they go. And he's, we're going to get into it further um, into this verse, into this chapter, but um, where people do go, um, some people do go. We already went over where some people are reincarnated. At least there's a one example of it through Elijah and John the Baptist. Jesus said it himself, whether you want to accept it or not, it's what he said. It's what he described, and we call that reincarnation. Um, so that's one example of what happens to people when they pass away. Um, but we're going to get into uh, two more examples of what happens to some people when they pass away. And then notice none of it is, heaven's not going to be mentioned. And heaven is where, at least according to Jesus, where God is. So it lets us know when people pass away, it's not to heaven or hell or before God that we necessarily go. Because notice when we read it, God's not going to be mentioned. Um, so anyway, let's, so, and Jesus is saying here, heaven and earth the world itself can pass away before even one of his words will pass away um well so and it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail so he's saying if if the if what they believe is the truth then it should stand and not even one tittle that would be like what would go over an n in the latin the spanish language um to make it give that nya sound like um manana instead of that little thing over that'd be like a tilde or 
He's saying for even a mark, like an apostrophe or a dot over an I or a slash through a T, he's saying not even that much of it should fail. Uh, whoever divorces his life and a uh, wife and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced from um, her husband commits adultery. So I know that'll be a hard thing for a lot of people to accept because marriage and divorce are very common now. But Jesus is letting us know here, under no uncertain terms, that that's that constitutes um, adultery, and he's saying that. Um, I guess the way I would understand it is because you take those vows, which are voluntary. You don't have to vow or promise anything. If you want truly, you can make a legal contract. And um, But even then, that's still going to be binding because you're agreeing to it. And you're agreeing to it voluntarily. So then when you break that, because someone else has relied on it, I think that's why Jesus is saying it's significant in God's eyes. Because someone else is relying on you keeping that contract um, for whatever it is they're building their whatever it is around their belief system their world or whatever it is They're trying to build they're counting on you to keep that contract whether it's a marriage Whether it's a business contract, whatever it is they're counting on that And I think that's what Jesus is saying why Jesus says here that it's adultery and adultery in the sense of it's unfaithful because You've entered that contract voluntarily and now you're exiting the contract while the other person is still relying on it so um if the divorce, fine, that's a fine to uh, get divorced, but then to enter into another marriage and say, oh, I'm going to keep it this time, uh, and the person's still alive, because Jesus goes into it another place where, um, about the different um, terms of it, of if the person's alive or not, and and he says, basically, if it's sexual immorality, that's basically the acceptable reason for divorce, but that, there's an umbrella there, because nowadays what's considered sexually immoral is not what was considered sexually immoral back then open marriages and such actually they were um men could have as many wives as they could support back then so actually that would not have been considered sexually immoral whereas now it would so that lets you know morals do change no matter what people tell you they change if you're going to say they should be how they were in the beginning then in the beginning that's not how it was and it's not wasn't one person and one person it was one person and as many wives as he could support it wasn't that way for women so if you're going to say things should be how they were in the beginning that's how it was in the beginning not one man and one woman marriage changed and now it's not even that so that shouldn't be an issue for people either it's a legal contract and if you're breaking legal contracts i think that's the issue you're making a legal contract with someone and if for whatever reason you break it or it gets broken he's not saying that's sin that's not a crime and he's not saying even that the adultery is not forgivable but he's saying to enter another contract like that uh when you're already divorced he's saying that's adultery because you didn't keep it the first time and you're you're going into the second one the third one the seventh one the tenth one or however many it is he's saying it's adultery and again doesn't mean it's not forgivable but it, he's letting you know it's it is adultery it's unfaithful um so now he's going to get into what happens to people um We'll see. There was a certain rich man who was clothed with clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So now Jesus is going to give us, and it, it, again, it says parable, but it's not a parable. He doesn't say it's a parable. He said there was a certain man. Oh, well, see, it doesn't say parable here. Here it did say parable um, of the unjust steward, steward, even though Jesus didn't say it was a parable. He said there was a certain one. 
So anyway, here again, it's not a parable. Jesus is giving, a, letting us know uh, there was a certain man. Um, so it's not a parable. He's giving us an example of people who existed. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, so he had money. He was loaded. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. So he lets you know he's a beggar. You don't have to think hard to imagine what kind of life he had. There are plenty of poor people and homeless in this country right now. Richest country in the world, but lots and lots of homeless people, sadly. Excuse me. It really should be, there ought to be a law that people can't become trillionaires until there's no voluntarily homeless people in the world, in the country. It just shouldn't be, makes no sense. Um, so he's saying the beggar laid outside, rich man living large, uh, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his swords. So that's probably where a lot of people get the idea that a dog uh, licking your swords is a healthy thing. I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend you licking your own swords. Your mouth is one of the most disgusting places in your body altogether. But um, anyway, so that's what the beggar was like. He's suffering laid outside and the dogs are paying him more attention than the rich man who's like right inside he's laid outside the rich man's gate so i let you know it's the rich man the rich man knows he exists but for whatever reason he's still laid outside at his gate um okay so let's see what happens to them so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to abraham's bosom the rich man also died and was buried so notice how jesus describes it two different ways you would think that anyone who dies is going to get buried but he doesn't say that he says what happened when he died was what was important was happened what's what happens to his inner being what we call a spirit or his soul um well, i'd say a spirit because they both have souls it's well i guess they both have spirits too but he's letting us know what happens to one is that he goes on to a place that Jesus calls Abraham's bosom. So I would think of your bosom is your chest. So I would think that maybe an embrace, a hug, maybe saying um, he's reached, or maybe he's saying he's reached the place in the Old Testament that Abraham, um, the patriarch, if you don't know who that is, it's like the father of uh, both the Islam and um, Jewish and Christianity he's, he's like the patriarch of them all um, listed in the Old Testament if you want to read about him and so I think what he's saying there in Abraham's bosom he's saying his heart what's in your chest is your heart and he's saying Abraham's bosom is Abraham's heart's desire heaven the, he's made it to the place of comfort the place that Abraham um, long for basically the place you long for in your heart the place that Abraham longed for in his heart he made it there um, but he's saying the rich man on the other hand was buried so he sort of makes it sound more final like um, even though they both it seems like both would be buried but anyway and being in torments in Hades he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom so um, Hades is um, another word for hell, but since it's capitalized, um, that lets us know it's a it's a proper noun, which points to the Greek of oh, it, the Greek or Roman uh, god Hades. If you've seen any of the Thor movies or the Clash of the Titan movies, it's the basically the god of the underworld as it's called there. So it's interesting 
that um, um, uh, Jesus will be pointing to that, but I don't think he's talking about a person here. I think he's talking about the place that people consider, the one underworld itself, hell. Um, but, and he's going to describe it further that makes it sound like he's talking about hell. But So it lets you know both died, but one went one place, Abraham's bosom, I would say obviously some rest or at ease, but the other person is has gone to torments in Hades or hell and he's going to describe it further like I said um, and being in torments in Hades lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom so um, he sees them either embraced or well he sees both so he sees Abraham and Lazarus so how he knows that's who they are I don't know but for our, whatever the case may be the, the person in here recognizes both of them and that they're in a whole different place and it doesn't say that they where they are recognize where he is uh, but he's able to see them so that um, sort of goes along with another, another passage in the Bible where something about that um, the, the they'll burn and you'll see it and something like um, meat on um, and their fat dripping and that sort of thing like that like they can't see it though. Lazarus isn't isn't according to Jesus here even aware of where the rich man has gone to. But the rich man is very much aware of where Lazarus, the poor beggar, has made it to. He's at ease. Whereas the um, now it's the rich man who's envious of the status that Lazarus has. So there's been a reversal of fortune. The flip uh, script flip. Then he cried and said. Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. And he's saying, for he is, I'm not going to say that, tormented in flame. So it's letting you know there that um, there's a flame, and he's tormented in it, and that water would cool him. So it lets you know it's not a figurative thing like some uh, preachers will try and tell you. That, oh, he's just uh, feeling degraded or emotionally distraught or he's embarrassed. No, he says he's in flames and in torment and looking for water to cool himself. So he lets you know there's a very, there, it seems to be a, a physical element to his hereafter where he's able to still endure suffering, which you wouldn't think of. Um, I mean, you would think you'd need a physical body to uh, understand, uh, have physical pain or suffering but not really since when you consider that you also have emotional pain that you could feel too and your body doesn't feel that you can actually your body can be affected by like stress and um and bell's palsy in my, in my situation but um so yeah even the things you can't see the physical the non-physical stressors can affect the physical so i guess i could see how even without the physical body there would still be the possibility for what's else there what for what else is there to still experience suffering you wouldn't necessarily need um a physical body to experience that um yeah that makes sense but abraham says son remember that in your time you in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise lazarus evil things but now he's comforted and you're tormented so uh, here you see the person who's suffering in hell, in Hades, as it's described, the rich man, he's able to communicate now with Abraham. Excuse me. But notice, if he's able to communicate with Abraham, then and Abraham and Lazarus are together, he's still 
to his feels entitled to command Lazarus, who's made it to his reward uh, and made it to his comfort and ease, he still feels entitled to command Lazarus to do something for him. As if he still has power and Lazarus is still the poor beggar looking for something for him. It's kind of outrageous when you look at it on that level. The nerve to to have, because he could just as easily have begged Lazarus, say, Lazarus, please bring him some water. But no, he's asking someone else, basically someone over him, because Abraham had slaves, had servants and slaves in the Old Testament. Um, he's looking at it in that sense, and most likely the rich man had servants and slaves too. So he's still got that mentality where he feels entitled to have, um, even in the hereafter, even when he's burning in hell, to have someone else who's at ease to get up and do something for him. That's a lot of nerve. <laughs> you consider it, that's a whole lot of nerve. It's no different than the whole Black Lives Matter movement now. How black people are expected to just shut up and take it, even though black people were treated, treated to slavery, treated to it for hundreds of years, and then still treated like it hundreds of years later and still not getting any reparation for it but only repercussions of it. It's madness. Meanwhile, white slave owners have already gotten reparations, reparations, money. They got money already years ago to give up the slaves, but the slaves got nothing but torment. And it's outrageous that hundreds of years later we're still experiencing and people are still wondering if it's fair or what do we want. It makes no sense. To keep voting people in who don't even attend to it makes no sense. People gotta wake up. Um, so anyway, um, he's letting him know. You had an easy life. You had everything you wanted when you walked earth and when you had your life. Uh, and Lazarus had nothing. Lazarus was the poor beggar, the marginalized one, the outcast. And now he's comforted and you're the one who has nothing. So he's letting him know there's been a reversal. You're not where you're at before. You're not able to shot call anymore. The world doesn't jump when you say uh, how. Uh, the world doesn't say how high when you say jump anymore. Now the playing field has been leveled. You're burning in hell and Lazarus is at ease. So don't keep snapping your finger or ringing your bell expecting people to do whatever it is you expect them to do just because you are who you are. And besides all this between us and you, there's a great gulf fix so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Now you'll see a lot of preachers call this whole situation the gulf. It's not called the Gulf, and they'll say they're in the same place. They're not in the same place. They're in two different places, very clearly, and separated by a Gulf. No different than how Florida is separated from Mexico by the Gulf of Mexico. So they're not in the same place. So when people keep telling you that, oh, they all go to the same, they don't all go to the same place. Some have gone. Um, it's very clearly, the rich man went to hell, Hades, as Jesus calls it here, and is burning and in torment. Whereas Lazarus the beggar has made it to some place at ease, but still uh, the, the rich man still feels entitled. Whereas Lazarus is at ease. So it lets you know there's a mental element there too. That Lazarus is, has a peace of mind, whereas even the rich man, even after he's gone and burning, he's still not at ease mentally. He's still being tormented. Or now he's being tormented. And besides all this, um, so he's saying... 
there's a gulf there's a big space there could be a dimension if you want to think about it that way if you want to think about it it's even outer space that could even be it because there's parts of it we'll never reach because it's totally expanding faster than we can move so there's parts of space it could be there just something to consider unless we of course come up with a way to use portals or that sort of thing then maybe we'll see but he's letting him know um, it's not that easy for you to snap your finger and send for Lazarus to come do whatever it is you want him to do because we're separated so that you can't get to where we are and we can't get to where you are. And so I let you all know something else. Some preachers will preach to you that there's a millennium where people will be teaching in a thousand years and you'll have a chance to preach to them on the other side and get them. Jesus, Jesus himself just told you that's not the case. That there's a gulf fixed so that you can't do that. So once you're on one side, you're there. And if you're on the other side, that's where you are. And that you can't pass from one to the other. And he doesn't say anything about a millennium or another time after that where you get another chance to pass from one to the other. He says just the opposite of that. So you can believe what you want to. You can let preachers tell you what you want to. But Jesus himself, who it's named for, just told you what's up. But that's not the case. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. So the um, rich man still doesn't get it. Instead of asking Lazarus, he could beg Lazarus. No, he's begging the um, um, he's begging Abraham. And that, I mean, maybe there's a racial element there where he's thinking that we're the same race and Lazarus is not. Maybe. I don't know. It seems like if he truly humbled himself, he would have just asked Lazarus. And But again, notice that God is not mentioned anywhere. There's no mention here of them being in God's presence or him begging God to send um, some order or begging God for mercy. There's no mention of God the Father uh, anywhere in this situation where these two people have made it to. And it is after they've died. So again, you can believe whatever you want to believe, but Jesus is letting you know here that it's not heaven. Heaven hasn't been mentioned yet, and it's not going to be mentioned. So neither one of them went to heaven, and that's where God is. But they both passed away, and both have lived on. And Jesus, again, has pointed out the possibility of reincarnation, not even a possibility, an example of it um, in the Gospels also. So that lets you know, it may not be what your churches are letting you know or think it is. It may be something totally different as far as the journey of the Spirit. Uh, so Abraham said to him, um, okay, so then he said, I beg you, okay, so he's saying, send him, to his send him to his brothers to tell them so that they don't end up there too. Excuse me. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So it lets you know, he is concerned, but not concerned with Lazarus. Or any sort of, I'm sorry, Lazarus, that I walked over you all those years when you were laying there with sores or that I didn't see about you or give you any food. He's not repentant at all. He's still thinking about himself, still thinking about his own people and, and what situation they're in. As if they don't still have life and the opportunity to change. It's a lot of nerve. Uh, so he's, But he's saying um, he wants Lazarus to go there and um, get his brothers to have a change of heart. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. So here this lets us know, I think, uh, points to what happens to people, excuse me, what happened to people, <coughs> excuse me, before 
Christ came. He's saying they had Moses and the prophets. So they didn't need Jesus to go back to them uh, in hell. Maybe he did. Um, but they didn't need that necessarily. The ones who had the um, who had Moses and the prophets, that would be the Israelites in the Old Testament. He's saying they had Moses and the prophets. So that was enough to get you in. That's enough to, uh, to have faith knowing that a Christ is coming, the Savior is coming, that that would be enough. And he's saying they have them, so let them hear them. They have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the Old Testament. Let them hear that, his brothers. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he's letting him know, no, 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 they won't hear that religious stuff. They ain't going to hear that. They're not going to listen to that. He's saying, but if you do send somebody back, if you send Lazarus, not asking Lazarus, but send him, send his spirit, send his ghost back uh, to them, send them back to my brothers, they'll hear that. That's what he's letting them know. That's what he's telling Abraham, who's probably seen this happen again and again and again, this cycle of people passing away and entering one place or the other on either sides of the gulf um he's probably seen it and heard every argument um somebody here the guy is saying the rich man is saying send him to my brothers they'll listen to him they'll hear the ghosts they won't listen to that religious stuff the moses and the prophets uh, but they'll hear the ghosts they'll listen to that i mean i guess that's a possibility that would be enough something supernatural like the christmas carol to scare you straight um, maybe that would work. Let's see. Um, so if you send them, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. The one rise from the dead. So he's letting them know here something very profound. He's like, if they won't listen to what you call old time religion, if they won't hear the stuff that's already been laid out for them through Moses and the prophets, that's the Old Testament. If they won't hear that. The people who didn't have an opportunity to see Jesus or come to Christ. If they're not going to hear that, then they won't be persuaded. Even if Lazarus went back from the dead as a ghost and showed them and told them, you're on the wrong path. That's the way to go. He's saying they won't be persuaded by that. Proof of that is Jesus himself when he came and showed them and was crucified and killed. And then as believers, we believe came back from the dead and people still don't believe it. So if people are going to believe, if they're faithful in a little, they're going to be faithful in a lot. If they're going to be faithful with spirituality, with God, with uh, truth, what we call truth, belief in a hereafter, in a bigger picture, whatever form that may be. If you're going to be faithful in a little bit, you're going to be faithful in a lot. But if you're not, you're not. If you're going to be unfaithful, in, if you're going to be unfaithful in your marriage, you're going to be unfaithful in the hereafter, uh, in the big picture sense, too, of the spirituality, too. If you're going to be unfaithful in a little something that just matters here, that's what marriage is. It doesn't matter in God in the hereafter. It only matters here, and it only matters in the sense that it's voluntary. Generally speaking, obviously, there's people who don't have choices. But anyway, that's what happens there. It's um, That's this end of this chapter i appreciate you reading it uh checking it out with me i hope it was a blessing for you and i hope you'll join me again god willing we have um matthew because we finished mark now mondays and in a moment i'll pick up and um do our um john the same chapter 16 where we left off there and saturday night after midnight early sunday mornings we'll 
do our grab bag gospel where we're um, in the acts of Pilate, the gospel of Nicodemus, and at the trial of Jesus, the parts that didn't make it into the Bible, if you want to join me then. In the meantime, thanks again. Wash your hands, wear your mask, love your neighbors, and um, God bless you. Thanks again. Peace.